Support for Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom is brought to you as always by Manscaped for all your male grooming needs. We want to say thank you to our listeners who continue to support the podcast by shopping online at manscaped.com and getting 20% off your entire order with the promo code SUNNYNKC. You guys have helped us fund this podcast and keep bringing you guys Chiefs content every week, so we appreciate that. You already know about the Lawnmower 3.0, the best hygiene tool for the modern man with patented skin safe technology that makes getting nicked a thing of the past. But they also have a nice nail kit called the Shears 2.0, which has tempered stainless steel tools, including slash tip tweezers, round point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. I'm a personal believer in these products, and if you're frustrated with your electric razors running out of batteries, becoming dull, catching your skin, you owe it to yourself to try out Manscaped. Just remember to use promo code SUNNYNKC to get 20% off your entire order. Manscaped, take your grooming game to the next level. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. We've already done an Aliens riff. Uh, We can't really talk about Aliens again, but, you know. Oh, I can always talk about Aliens, but yes, you're right. We need to keep things fresh. Diversify. The whole Galactic Federation news was, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, The whole Galactic Federation news? Wait, did you not even see this news? What news? You're, like, super into Aliens, and you spend all the time on Twitter. What? What? are, Are you joking? The head of the Israeli space program former head of the Israeli space program says extraterrestrials exist and Trump knows about them and that they've been communicating with the U S and Israel for years and that there is a galactic federation of aliens and they will not reveal themselves to us until we are ready. And this came out on Monday and it's Wednesday. Well, I want that to be true. Well, I want it to be true too, because that's like a best case scenario for us. Yeah. Is that there's, there's extraterrestrial life and they're like, <laughs> no, they're not animals. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to fuck with you guys. Yes. We're not going to reveal ourselves to you because you're not ready for us yet. Yeah. So we're they, not. They, they, they know that we are our lower forms of intelligence, but they're not going to harm us. I mean, it's like a, I mean, that is ideal. That's absolutely ideal is. because the other option is that they're animals and they're going to come here and ravage us the moment right. they find out <laughs> right. we exist. Right. Destroy our world. And yeah take us into slavery or whatever it is that aliens do so i mean it would be if true that would be that would be a best case scenario for sure it's probably not true but and especially because it says that he said that trump knows about him and there's just there's just no fucking way there's a really good that's a really good point if trump knew about it he would absolutely spill the beans although to be fair his uh you know his um his mo is to compulsively lie all the time Ooh, so he does like keeping secrets. He does like keeping secrets about things that are true. He just likes to lie compulsively about everything. So the fact that he hasn't said anything about the aliens, I don't know, maybe. Welcome in, everybody, to It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom, the podcast brought to you by Sports Illustrated's Arrowhead Report. You can find us online at si.com slash NFL slash Chiefs or on Twitter at SI Chiefs. And of course, our sponsor, Manscaped. I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at Real Bird Lawyer. And here with me, as always, is my man, my producer, my best buddy, Taylor Witt, who you can find on Twitter at Taylor underscore Witt. Taylor, what's going on? I'm still a little, uh, little flabbergasted about the alien news. I'm, a, I'm a little thunderstruck. 
Well, I didn't mean to thunderstrike you, man. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Didn't mean to thunderstrike you, but yeah, yeah. Wild story, right? So, uh, you know, that's, that's a developing story. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they're not ready to reveal themselves to us because they've seen Patrick Mahomes in action. They've seen that cannon and they're like, well, I don't want to, you know, pop out of hyperspace or something and get a, <laughs> get a football in the face. I, I don't know. Face I don't know what pig skin, a face full of pig skin. Exactly. You, you don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, Taylor, we're going to kind of just mail it in this week, just like the Chiefs did against the Broncos. I'm thinking if we give like a solid D-plus effort on this podcast, we're still going to be enough to come out with the win. So let's get into it. We're going to recap the Chiefs and Broncos. We're going to talk a little bit about the AFC playoff picture. That's going to be kind of a recurring theme on these uh, these podcasts as we go into the home stretch here leading up to the postseason. And then uh, we're playing the Miami Dolphins this week. All right. Okay. I guess we can talk about that too, but let's talk about this Broncos game. So the chiefs played the Broncos on Sunday night football. It was in Arrowhead this time. This was part two. Part one was a, well, it was a shellacking for lack of a better word. It was a, it was a massacre. It was a horse massacre. Some might say, (laughs) and this game, Taylor, uh, just, just give me your thoughts. What, what'd you think? This game sucked. (laughs) I hated this game. I hated it from start to like one minute to go. It was just, it was very frustrating and very, 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 so many opportunities missed and points left on the board. And I hate that the Broncos had a decently fun night most of the night instead of being miserable like they normally have been when we played them. At the end of the day, it was still the 11th win in a row. It was still... You know, just keep swimming. But, boy, this game sucked. <laughs> yeah, so I guess what we should maybe start with is uh, is the offense. And you mentioned missed opportunities. The Chiefs missed opportunities to score in this game pretty much every way you can miss opportunities yeah, to score. For sure. And we probably should start with the, the big takeaway from this game, the, the play that everybody's going to remember, which is Tyreek Hill catching a deep bomb, a dime from Patrick Mahomes in the end zone and going to the ground, the ball coming loose. And then I've, it never hit the ground, Taylor. It was, but, a, it was like the magic bullet. I mean, it was just insane that that ball never touched the ground, but it didn't. It didn't. It ended up in his grasp. He controlled it the entire way. And somehow the officials decided to call this an incomplete pass, which that's fine. I mean, listen, we're we're very well used to NFL officiating being terrible, and we'll talk about that some more because this mm. game had uh, just a litany of officiating errors. It, it seems like we're talking about the officials a lot for a team that's 11-1 and one because, as I have said many times on this podcast, the people that complain about the refs are losers. But uh, We can still make fun of the refs. Like, we're not necessarily yeah. complaining about them, but we are talking about how terrible they are. We just won anyway. So, so step one on how to wipe away a beautiful highlight reel touchdown. Step one, the officials called this an incomplete pass. It mm-hmm. wasn't. And whatever official was watching it, I don't know what he thought he saw. Like, did he, did he say, there's no way he could have controlled that to the ground? Because clearly he didn't see it touch the ground because it didn't touch the ground, right? right. But he called it an incomplete pass. So, step two... Usually in this situation, you know, you got your wide receiver. Wide receivers always think that they've caught the ball, right? They, they're going to go over to the sideline. They're going to do the whole, like, you know, 
Chris Bosch, like I dunked this like two seconds after the shot clock nice, expired, but like run it back, you know, like do the little the little circle, like coach, like run the tape, run the tape. Like I caught this ball. So Tyreek Hill doesn't do that because he didn't think that he caught the ball, which is actually a lot more understandable than the officials blowing the call. Yep. Because Tyreek doesn't have eyes in the side of his head, yep. which is where he actually ended up controlling the ball. So he goes to the sideline. He doesn't tell Andy Reid, hey, I caught it for sure. Like, Not only does he not argue for it, he actually is frustrated. You can see him walk towards the sideline and and kind of throw the ball back. And, and, I mean, he's pissed he didn't catch the bomb, for sure. Even though, in fact, he did catch the bomb. God. So, step three, uh, Andy Reid, of course, doesn't challenge. I don't know exactly how the process works here, but obviously the Chiefs have people up in the booth mm-hmm. who are reviewing – whatever angles they have access to. And to be honest with you, Taylor, I don't know if you know the answer to this question. I do. Okay, great. Well, what do they have access to? So I didn't know this before this week, but they're watching the TV broadcast. (laughs) That's what they have. They don't have angles. They literally have the TV broadcast and they say, damn, I think that was close. We got to go challenge it. They don't have slow-mo replays. They don't have quicker feeds which means that the tv broadcast is seven second delayed or whatever it happens to be i heard that on primetime games the tv broadcast is actually more delayed than on the the noon and three o'clock cbs and fox games wow which means for this game on sunday night football they had of their 25 second play clock they have to wait 10 seconds or so before they even see the play and then they have to call down and tell andy to throw the flag after they see the play and even then, uh, I guess now that is that is preposterous, Taylor. Is I did not know that, and I'm glad I'm glad that you that you dropped that knowledge bomb on me because I didn't know that, and now I wish I still did not know. <laughs> yeah, see, because that is it's a very boring. frustrating thing to know. I, I, but this gives us a perfect fall guy because step four, the Chiefs went out and punted the ball mm-hmm. with ten seconds left on the play clock, mm-hmm. and they ran out there and ran the fastest punt that I've ever seen them <laughs> yeah. run all yeah. year. They're just like, God, like I can't wait to punt this ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how fast can we get this punt? <laughs> ball, this punt? How fast can you punt? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was, what was that? Why? It was like, they were worried that the Broncos were going to challenge the last one. Yeah. What? Like, like they were like, we got to punt this before they figure out that we caught that touchdown. Like it was, right. it was preposterous. And I don't know. We've never, ever, ever punted with 10 seconds or done anything with 10 seconds on the play clock. It's, it's just, it's, it was dumb. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'll well, never know. <laughs> I think the uh, listeners can probably, sense where some of this frustration was coming on this came early in the game three three. and it set it set the tone for a lot of frustration to come the chiefs had a lot of trips into the red zone in this game and just kept kicking short field goals so i guess we can go to that next because short of having a literal touchdown and punting instead uh, i think kicking a field goal from the one yard line and then kicking another field goal from, what, the five? Uh, I, I mean, the Chiefs' red zone offense in this game was uh, it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they weren't executing where we're 
you know, you expect this offense that has so many weapons and so much creativity to be at their best in the red zone. And really, you know, the 2018 offense was historically good in the red zone. The 2019 offense took a huge step back, but then in the playoffs was perfect in the red zone. That was a huge, huge part of how they kept, um, you know, kept their comebacks going and things like that. And then so far in 2020, we've seen a little bit of both. And this was, this was their seventh consecutive including the previous game trip inside the red zone that didn't end up with a touchdown, which was the tied for the longest streak, or maybe it was the longest streak in the NFL. I think it was the longest streak in the NFL for the chiefs over the New York jets. That's right. Who I believe had six straight trips to the red zone without scoring a touchdown. The Adam Gase, New York jets who are Owen 12 should uh, be one and 11. Yeah, right. Exactly. We can we can maybe slip that in later, but yeah, <laughs> it's it is what it is. But the Chiefs the Chiefs had a number of drives that ended down in the red zone with them kicking a field goal, and you know we saw we saw a lot of the same stuff that we typically see with the Chiefs in the red zone. A lot of which works. I mean, you know, the Chiefs don't have a very good interior offensive line, and so they can't really just reliably pounded in from the one yard line. <laughs> That's what she said. Mm-hmm. Uh, with their run game. And so, you know, you see a lot of these sprint outs and a lot of these trick plays, a lot of this trickeration. And I got to say for all of Vic Fangio's failings as a head coach, and there are many, believe me, this has been a hot topic here in Denver this week on the sports talk radio. Uh, Mark Schlereth has been uh, basically saying, you know, that the Broncos don't have a head coach. They have two defense coordinators and an offense coordinator, uh, which is, which is harsh, but, but true. But, but to be fair to Vic Fangio, uh, who by the way, has been calling the defense because their defensive coordinator has been out with COVID for like a month and a half or something like that. Uh, They did a great job sniffing out a lot of what the chiefs wanted to do in the red zone. So, you know, Pat would roll out or something like that. And they'd be like, all right, we knew you were going to do that and everybody's covered. So you're just going to have to throw the ball away. Uh, that was frustrating though, because again, this offense has so many weapons and so much creativity that even understanding that there are some limitations with what you can do physically down in the red zone and maybe not being able to overpower teams, you still should be able to to spread teams out and be more effective. You certainly, it, no team with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback should go seven straight trips to the red zone without scoring a touchdown. That just can't happen. Nope. Nope. You're exactly right. And really no NFL team should go seven straight without scoring a touchdown. I mean, that is that type of um, failing is, is really, really bad. And yeah, it probably is going to be the only stretch of seven in a row missed by this team in Patrick Mahomes career, or at least one of them, but I mean, it happened right now. And so we're talking about it right now. There was um, there was one, in the second quarter where the chiefs had first and goal at the four after a Mahomes scramble uh, down to the four. And then they handed off two straight times to Le'Veon, which I don't know. I mean, I kind of go back and forth about it because Le'Veon is, is supposedly should be pretty good in this type of situation and it's four yards and then you've got first down. So, I mean, two handoffs isn't the worst thing in the world, but then on third and one, uh, Mahomes threw it short middle to Tyreek that was short of the goal line there. And then Tyreek tried to bounce it outside like he's so good at, but they were very, very on top of that. Oh, they were Sniff, all over it. Sniffed that out and ended up with a short field goal there. And it just, the play calling was, um, 
uh, yeah, I guess suspect would be a, a good way of putting it. There was one, another red zone trip later, first and goal. Yeah, the, at the very next drive. Yeah, the very next drive, first and goal at the nine, uh, a, a short little pass that was supposed to go to Le'Veon that he actually looked like he dropped on purpose because he knew he was going to lose yards. They were, yeah. they were all over that one too. And he pretty much just let that go to the ground. And then Mahomes had to scramble because he was in trouble on second and nine. He ended up gaining a yard, but I mean, that was, that play was never going anywhere. And then he was sacked on third and eight. So some of this is on the line for sure, because they're allowing pressure, they're getting sacked and they're not able to push the line forward on the run plays. So a lot of that can be, um, you know, the blame can go to the offensive line, but it was also just sloppy execution, sloppy play calling kind of all around everyone that could be blamed there. Mahomes probably missed some throws. I don't remember one specifically, but I'm sure it might happen. Maybe yeah, it could have. It's it plausible. It's, it's within the realm of possibility. Yeah. Not plausibility, but possibility. Exactly. I, I just, it's, it's weird because uh, the Broncos in this game uh, in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, Actually took a 16 to 12 lead in this game on a drew lock touchdown pass to Tim Patrick. And it was a fade. And I tweeted at the time that a defense that can't defend a fade thrown by drew lock to Tim Patrick, is not a good defense, but <laughs> I didn't see that tweet. That's good. But you know, look, look, I hate throwing fades, but when was the last time you saw the chiefs throw a fade? I mean, we, I, hmm. I can't remember a single, time that we've gone down in the red zone and listen it's a low percentage play i don't like it but at least throw it in there hmm. so that teams have to kind of respect what you're doing on there and you have travis kelsey that's who's who the i second, was just thinking who's of. the I... second leading receiver in the nfl behind dk and by far the leading tight end receiver in the league and he has five straight 1000 yard seasons first hmm. nfl tight end to ever do that five thousand one thousand yard seasons period he's the first nfl tight end to do that he could be a guy that uh, maybe you could throw a fade to every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, I, I and know. some of his touchdowns have been fade-like. Um, yeah, they've been right. basically, though, they've been fades from like the 20, where, right. where you know, he does end up catching it in the corner of the end zone on a perfect, you know, dropped-in pass, but it's not sure. quite that one-yard fade that you see pretty much every other team in the NFL run to pretty low success, I would say. Most of the time, if a team is going to run a fade, I'm – as the defense, I'm fired up because that yeah, just me doesn't, too, because doesn't really yeah, work. It's but. dumb, but most teams don't have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. It feels yeah, like that's a good if point. any team was going to be successful running that, the Chiefs could do it. And you know what, they just what don't, play they just should don't. be executed every time you have a one yard to go in the red zone? In the, uh, the line. Unfortunately, I do. It's a quarterback sneak, Taylor. <laughs> it is, exactly. But we're never going to see it again, are we? We're never going to see it again because once upon a time at a game that you and I attended, Jesus. Patrick Mahomes ran a quarterback sneak and picked up the first down. Oh, yeah. But he blew out his – well, he didn't blow out his knee. He dislocated his knee. All right, on a freak play, we'll never see that play again. It actually it, – I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, what are the circumstances? It, it would have to be, what, like the Super Bowl? Like the last play of the Super Bowl for the Chiefs? Jesus, out, because right? if like, he gets I, hurt, then – yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Andy's going to get back to it. I I think there may be just, it's still too soon. Yeah. But like maybe next year, maybe the year after, or maybe when Mahomes is 40, I mean, yeah, sure. eventually they're going to run it. But um, yeah, every time we've had a one yard opportunity since that day, they've, I mean, obviously they haven't called a sneak since. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's curious for sure. 
we we delved into the the defense briefly, but now it's time to switch our frustrations from the offensive side of the ball to the defensive side of the ball. And I, I guess that's maybe not fair. Let, let me just start off by asking you, what did you think of the defense in this game? Well, um, on the one hand, I know factually that Drew Locke is basically the 32nd ranked quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. That's right. correct. Factually so, true. So I know that going into this game, defense has got to be licking their chops that they've got a guy like that coming in. But then, you know, you look at his numbers, he only, he threw, he had half of his completions for 150 yards with two picks. He did have the two touchdowns, but he had a 63.2 rating, which is right on par with his um, yearly quarterback rating. So like Drew Locke played like Drew Locke. He played bad. He, he missed throws. He threw two picks to Honey Badger that were both bad throws. He, he wasn't – or he was who we thought we hit. We, he were. Blah, blah, blah. He was who we thought he was. And it just they, – they weren't – like 16 points is pretty good for an NFL defense to give up over the course of a game. You know, yeah. that, and especially with a team that scored over 22 now for 26 straight games. I mean, it's, it's okay. I, I thought they were fine, basically, is what I'm what I'm getting at. They they yeah. weren't great. They weren't bad. They were fine. Yeah, I I agree. It, it was fine. Uh, they didn't get any sacks in this game, mm. but Drew Locke, to his credit, about the only thing he does well is avoid sacks. That's like actually one of the only things that yeah. he's not just absolutely terrible at. I think he's tenth in sack rate for the year, tenth uh, best, which is pretty good. Now he's absolutely terrible at everything else. He's bad at throwing interceptions. <laughs> he's bad at throwing touchdowns. He's bad at completing passes. He's, he's bad, but he is good at avoiding sacks, but the chiefs did get some, some pretty decent pressure in this game. And maybe it's just that my standards have really dropped off because it's been like a solid month since we've seen a, the kind of pass rush that we're, we're accustomed to with this yeah. Chiefs team really ever since taco went down. Uh, but I felt like the Chiefs got pretty decent pressure in this game and did speed up Drew Locke's clock and force him to make some some dumb throws, which Drew Locke will do, and did at least twice in this game with uh, two passes being picked off on the, the first drive of the game and the, the last drive of the game. You know, it, there are seven quarterbacks with 10 or more interceptions in the NFL, and six of them have played in 12 games, and Drew Locke has played in nine games, and he is <sighs> second in the NFL with 13 interceptions. That's very, very bad. His interception He's, percentage of 4.4. Second place is 3.7. That's that's, that's just, not good. He just it's throws tons and tons and tons of picks. And, you know, I'm going to bite this little phrase off of a tweet I saw, but, man, Sack Nation is more like a shithole country right now. They are <laughs> they're just nowhere to be found. I, no, they're not. But I, I, I was a little bit encouraged by – by some of what happened to this game. Like I thought Trishon Wharton looked okay. I yeah. thought Chris Jones looked okay. Frank Clark. I, is he playing through an injury? I don't know, man. He's, he's clearly the weakest link right now on the line, which is hard to say because obviously we love, we love Frank Clark on this mm-hmm. show. Yeah, uh, of course. How could you not? He's, he's amazing. He's, he's such a lovable character, but he's not, there's something, there's something going on there right now. I don't know what it is. If it's a physical thing, if it's a mental thing, but he's just not, he's just not beating guys right now. And he, especially with taco being hurt, 
you know, we obviously Frank is an essential part of the pass rush right now. And he's just not, he's not really getting it done. You know how many teams in the NFL have fewer sacks than the chiefs this year? I don't know this, but I'm going to guess. Uh, let me just do some quick thinking out loud here. Sure. Um, I don't even know who, I, I mean, gosh, I don't you know, know how many the... sacks we have, but it can't yeah. be that many. What do we have? Like in 12 games, 14, we have 15, 20. 20. Okay. Well, that's not, I'm guessing that's probably, there's still four games to play. That's probably like 25th overall, like, uh, top. Wow, exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Nailed that. That's great. Yes, well, there are good seven teams sir. worse than the Chiefs in total sacks. Uh, I swear I didn't look that up, as you can yeah. probably tell. Oh, yeah, like, you could you tell because you were pleased. <laughs> that, was very, that was very organic. You yeah. Know, the whole, like, uh, you know, I'm going to reason through this. Um, that's not very good. I, no. I wish that was higher. Steelers uh, lead the NFL great. with 44. That doesn't surprise me. No. Um, at least we've passed, like, we're not at the point where I think, didn't the Raiders have, didn't the Raiders have six sacks as a team, like, two or three years ago? Uh, that does sound correct, yes. They, <laughs> it was extremely just, low, I believe they said. When they the had Khalil record. Mack on the team, yeah, right? Like, right, wasn't before that, they traded him. Oh, my God. No, that must have been the year after they It must have been the year after. There's no traded. way Khalil Mack was on a team with six but sacks. But they did have, like, 12 sacks as a team with Khalil Mack, I think. It was, like, 10 sacks by Khalil Mack. Yeah. Two other guys. I don't know. We yeah. could look this up, but it doesn't matter. No. The point is the Chiefs pass rush needs to improve. That was frustrating. Yep. I will say we got to give a little bit of a shout-out to the secondary because the secondary, and granted – they were playing against Drew Luck. Sure. But it felt like the secondary got a little bit of their swagger back. You know, I think Honey Badger. Year. Yeah. But they haven't been what they were at the end of last year. No. And, you know, that's been evidenced by the fact that Badger's out chirping. You know, he's chirping at people. He's replying to tweets. Then he's deleting <laughs> the tweets people as if he that. doesn't have thousands and thousands of followers that instantly screen cap whatever he tweets. <laughs> like, bro, tweeting something and deleting it. Doesn't in 2020 work. is not going to work. It's not going to help you. Like once you put it out there, it's out, it's out there. It's not going away. Um, we got to give a huge shout out to Legarius Sneed because Legarius Sneed, in addition to being a total badass in the slot and lest I remind you, Taylor, he is a rookie. He, he was hurt for several games. He's yep. just coming off an injury. Yeah. It's like his fifth game or whatever. In addition to him being pretty dope in coverage and doing a great job out of the slot, he took the soul of Broncos $68 million man, Garrett Bowles, the new left tackle, franchise left tackle, quote unquote, of the Denver Broncos, was in the, uh, he was in the secondary trying to block, mm. and Legereus Sneed just popped him. And took him to the ground. Yeah, he banished now, him to the shadow realm. He didn't just take him to the ground. He destroyed him. Legereus Sneed weighs 193 pounds. And Garrett Bowles weighs 300 pounds. Oof. All right. It should not be possible for a man who weighs 107 fewer pounds than another man to move that man. And not only move him, but put him on the ground. And I, I mean – in the context of professional athletes. Now yeah. listen, if, if I weighed 300 pounds <laughs> and you know, Patrick Mahomes or whoever, somebody that was a little bit leaner and had a little bit better, uh, you know, a little bit lower body fat, maybe I don't weigh 300 pounds by the way. But <laughs> if that were the situation, I would understand it, but these are professional athletes. This is a left tackle who the Broncos drafted in the first round 
declined his fifth year option because he looked like a total bust and then turned around and literally six months later gave $68 million to this man got a soul taken by a fourth round rookie defensive back. It's pretty amazing. He's fun. He's fun to watch. He's been uh, flying around and he, he's clearly going to be a very important piece on the defense for a while. Like you can just see that already. And that's really fun. It's really fun to know that, the uh, the talent pool didn't just run out when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. That they're still acquiring young, exciting, fun guys, and uh, I'm I'm very pleased to see the production of Legarius Need so far, and I'm really excited to see where he, what he does from here. For sure. Speaking of guys that are fun to watch again, Taylor mm. Harrison Bucker. Yeah, he nailed all of his field goals and all of his extra points in this game. And frankly, considering how many times the chiefs decided to kick instead of attempt to go for a touchdown, that was pretty important. This ended up being a one possession game at the end. And the last three points tacked on there meant the Broncos needed to get a touchdown to have a chance at winning the game or to go ahead in the end of the game. They couldn't just drive down and get a game time field goal. And you like to see that obviously is the chiefs approach kind of the final stretch here that hopefully whatever yips he had with the extra points he's figured out because it's been a while now since he's missed an extra point. He's been nails on his field goals pretty much all year. Uh, But he, he's been pretty true. I mean, even the last couple of weeks where he was hitting them, they were, there were some close calls. There There were some, there were some Cairo Santoses in there. All right. Nice. But now he's back to being Harrison Bucker of old drilling him down the middle. And that's good to see. Well, and really this is more, this is, this is who he is and he might've had some struggles, but like all good athletes, he corrected it. And not only was he five for five on kicks in this game for uh, field goals and the extra point, but he lined up the game winner. And then there was a, Awful, horrible, the worst delay a game call I've ever seen in my entire oh. life. And so after he nails the 43 yarder and they call the delay a game, then he nails the 48 yarder with ice water in his veins. And th- that delay a game, literally Tommy Townsend had yeah, the ball had placed on the ground with one second on the play clock. And they blew the play dead and called delay a game. It was the worst delay a game call maybe in the history of football. You know, it's it's funny to – this was the Chiefs' last primetime game of the year until the playoffs, and it's fun to be in primetime, you know, have the slot to yourself. The thing that I like most about being in primetime is everybody – all the football – All the Ben Baldwin tweets. <laughs> all the Ben Baldwin tweets, all the football cognoscenti. Nice. Uh, watching the game and weighing in on the game that your team is playing. Yeah. And – numerous people professional blue check mark folks were weighing in on this delay of game call warren sharp said it was one of the worst penalties he had ever seen he he screen capped you know the, the ball in tommy townsend's hands yeah. with one second on the clock it was inexplicable and it really is one of those penalties while it didn't affect the outcome of the game that the kooks that say the nfl is rigged or whatever it is you know like The only explanations for that call are either some sort of foul play on the part of the officials to make the game closer, and it didn't end up affecting the spread, so it's not even like it was a Vegas thing. So that conspiracy theory doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't hold a lot of water. But the only other explanation is that the refs are just extremely incompetent. (laughs) I'm I'm on that explanation for sure. Yeah, I know. It was – 
the funny thing about blown um, delay of games, which there have been blown delay of game calls before, but it's almost always been letting the play go instead of calling the delay of game. It's almost always been zero on the clock, yeah. one second, hikes the ball. Just ask Niners fans in the Super Bowl. Well, sure. And, I mean, that's that's one example, but it's happened, it, it's happened quite a bit. And this was the first time I can ever remember a ref – blowing his whistle with one second on the clock yeah just how does that even happen and on a big kick five yards on a big kick is a huge deal i know it is in a three-point game at the time you know what it was taylor uh this is gonna this is gonna go back into the deep recesses of your brain but if you go back to i think it was on monday night football in 2018 against Mm -hmm. the broncos you may recall that the uh, the Broncos yes. were pretty upset yes. about a screw job that they got where a delay game was not called yep. with the Chiefs with the play clock hitting zero. This was just a makeup call from two years ago. <laughs> Jesus. Obviously the Broncos would have won that game with Case Keenum, left handed pass and all. They they would have they would have come back in that game. They would they would have won that game if not for that bad delay of game call. So this was just a, a belated makeup call two I years will, later. I will argue that it is a belated makeup call from thirty years ago today. Where, oh, where nice the job. Chiefs crowd in on December 9th, 1990 was so loud that the referees had to stop the game and plead with the Chiefs crowd that John Elway's poor little Fifi's were hurt and he couldn't hear the play call. And if they didn't calm down, then they were going to assess the Chiefs a timeout. And instead of calming down, the crowd got louder and the ref was like, damn, that didn't work. Uh, <laughs> play on. And he never, never assessed the Chiefs a timeout, but they did keep that in their back pocket. And they thought, you know what? Someday we're going to get you guys back. And- <laughs> it's probably like his, his son at this point whatever referee (laughs) did that i don't know i don't know years later yeah sure you know i'm glad you brought that up because that has been making the rounds today uh as this is the 30-year anniversary we talk about bad officiating sometimes as if it's like a new problem yep but that's like when you think back to that call or that incident i mean obviously they they didn't end up doing it but like that is that is insane. <laughs> there is just no basis for that at all. Like, oh, so uh, there I'm going to charge you a timeout. What? No. So, yeah, so here's the deal. There, there's been some oral histories been going around on uh, this one today. All right. This used to be when, when there were all outdoor stadiums, stadiums didn't get loud enough for it to really be a problem. But when they started introducing indoor stadiums, uh-huh. the NFL introduced a rule that said that if the referee deems that the noise in the stadium is too loud for anyone to hear anything, that he can request the the crowd to be silent. So what was really funny is on the TV broadcast for this, we mostly hear Kevin Harlan. um, There's a lot of YouTube clips of the one that Kevin Harlan is calling on the Chiefs radio broadcast. But on the TV broadcast, they actually say, you know, it's amazing. In the 17-year history of Arrowhead Stadium, this is only the second time the refs have ever had to stop the game due to the noise. And it's like, they they were like shocked that this is only the second time it's ever had to happen. But right. when we watch it in 2020, we're shocked that it ever even happened in the first place because yeah. it's such an asinine yep, rule. And yep, then in like 92 or 3 or something, they removed the rule and, and things could get nuts again. Well, that is the second time on this podcast today that you have blown my mind in Boom. a negative way. Yeah. Just exposing Bear the the incompetence and the weirdness of the NFL. Taylor, do you have any final closing thoughts on this game? Obviously, the Chiefs defeat the Broncos for the 11th straight time. 
we lead the all-time series, I believe, 67 to 54. It's a, it's a butt-kicking. This game was close. It was ugly. But a win's a win, right? Yeah, I mean, I think when the Chiefs play their D game and the Broncos play their – I guess they're not even really capable of an A game, but the closest <laughs> thing they're capable of to an A game, and the Chiefs still win by six – um, it just shows how far apart these two franchises really are right now from the GM to the head coach to the quarterback, everyone in between. There's just a huge step down right now between the Chiefs and the Broncos, and this was another evidence of that, and it's it's good to remind them of that, that no matter how hard they try, they're not going to be as good as us, and, uh, you know, Broncos suck. Broncos do, in fact, suck. Let's talk about some teams that suck less than the Broncos. And by sure. that, I mean everyone. <laughs> the current, yeah, well, that's true. The current AFC playoff picture, and that actually is true. The Broncos do have the worst point differential in the division, although the Chargers may have passed them this week. I did not check. They they laid a, a 45 to nothing shutout loss is going to hurt The point Charger point differential bit. is still 30 points better than the Broncos. Woof. After a 45 to nothing. What's that? 27 points better. My math. Oh, 27 points better. Yeah, after a 45 nothing loss. Exactly. Uh, that's, oof, that's the Broncos that's, are minus 95 and the Chargers are minus 68. After uh after a 45 to nothing shutout loss. Hmm. Well, the Broncos do in fact suck. Let's talk about some teams that suck less than the Broncos, and that would be our current AFC playoff teams. So we got a little bit of movement this week. Not necessarily at the very top of the standings, but our old friend Alex Smith did us a great service and defeated the previously unbeaten Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh 23-17 to to give the Steelers their first loss of the year. Now, Taylor, I know you do this on the daily, it seems like, but can you please explain to me and to our listeners what the uh, what the tiebreaker situation is here because sure. I don't think I don't think I've heard from enough people Man. that the Chiefs. I, I, How the frustrating Chiefs have was the, that? Did the Chiefs have the one seed right now, Taylor? No, and just because <laughs> they don't have the one seed doesn't mean we can't cheer for the Steelers to lose. You guys, every single time anyone was tweeting, "Go Alex Smith" and and "Go Washington Football Team" and all that stuff, and some know it all would reply to that with, "Well, you know." Even if the Steelers lose this, they're still in the one. It's like, yeah, I know, but it makes everything a lot easier, a lot easier. So let me start with the um, the big picture, which is how the NFL does tiebreakers. So there's a lot of confusion about divisional record and and when that applies and when that doesn't apply. Your, your win-loss within your own division. So that does not matter unless the two teams are in the same division. So anytime you're comparing the Steelers and the Chiefs or whoever else – Forget about their 5-1 and one record against the AFC West or whatever. Throw their divisional records out. That doesn't matter. It's, it starts with their head-to-head record, which is always because they're non-divisional. It's always going to be one game. If you beat them head-to-head, you've got the tiebreaker. You didn't play them head-to-head, as the Chiefs and the Steelers won't play each other. It goes to the best win percentage in games played within the conference. So this is where everybody that was all – huffy about this game because the football team is an NFC team and the Steelers or the Chiefs won losses to an AFC squad. Yes. Just because the Steelers lost to the football team, their AFC record is still undefeated. So they do still have the secondary tiebreaker with the Chiefs. If both teams finish 15 and one, but everyone knew that if both teams finished 15 and one with a loss to Washington, that 
the Steelers would get it. It still helps because the next bro- uh, the next tiebreaker, let's say the Chiefs drop one and the St- and the Steelers drop one. The next tiebreaker, let's see, let's say the Steelers or the Chiefs drop one to the Saints, which is an NFC team, and the Steelers drop one to the Bills or the Browns or any of their or the Colts, any other good AFC teams they're remaining. Now they each have one loss in the conference and it goes to the common games. And the common games is where the Bills game coming up is gigantic because yes. that's a game that the Chiefs beat the Bills and the Steelers obviously if if they they didn't the Steelers didn't play the Raiders, so that helps the Chiefs because their common games right now the Chiefs have won every common game with the Steelers so far. But the Steelers and in fact have closed out all of their common games, correct? They have beaten um, all of the teams that the Steelers still have to play. I, I think believe the Broncos that's is the last correct. one. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So the only common game remaining, if this is going to be a tiebreaker, is if the Steelers lose to the Bills, that's a common game. Chiefs win that tiebreaker. If it does, but go past that. Let's say the Steelers lose, but they don't lose to the Bills. They lose to either the Colts or the Browns on their on their or the Bengals, you know, or the happen. Bengals. Sure, it could happen. Well, they just lost the football team, so anything's right. possible. Right. Um, if that's the case, it goes to strength of victory, and strength of victory is slightly different than strength of schedule. Strength of victory is the strength of schedule, but only among the teams that you beat, which to me has always been a little squirrely because. That means that if you beat a bad team, if you beat the Jets, who are 0-12, that's worse for your strength of victory because it's the combined record of all the teams they beat than if you didn't play that team. Or and if, if you, you lost to that team. And if you lost to that team, you, they don't count. <laughs> so, so if the Chiefs said lost to the, to the Jets, Jets. And, yes. and beaten the Raiders twice, yes. they actually would have a better strength of victory. Yes, that's, that's correct. It's that's asinine. Odd. It doesn't really make much sense. But so that's the five. It's very rarely ever gone to strength of schedule, which is the sixth conference tiebreaker. I think I saw someone tweeted that it's gone to the sixth tiebreaker, maybe six or seven times in NFL history. And it's never gone to the seventh one, which is best combined ranking among conference teams in points scored and points allowed, which is too, too much of a mouthful to even get into. So that's the, that's the, the tie-breaking scenarios. That's why people were cheering for Washington because if the, if the Steelers had defeated Washington and still remained undefeated, then even if they lose a game you know, remaining to the Colts or something like that, they still – the Chiefs can still get this thing if they win out and the Steelers lose one more time. It doesn't matter right. who they lose to. If the right. Chiefs go 15-1, the Steelers go 14-2, boom. You don't need any tiebreakers. So – Stop telling people that the Steelers still have the one seed. Everyone knows they still have the one seed. It was still a huge win for the Chiefs that Washington, or that Alex Smith and Washington could pull that one off. That was a subtweet of Ross Tucker there. Ross, if you're listening, we know. We yeah. know. We know that the Steelers still have the one seed. But you know what? They're not going to have the one seed for very long. Taylor, I want to talk about the Steelers. I We did a segment a couple weeks ago where we ranked our – our most feared playoff opponents. And I had the Steelers number one for me. Did you have the Raiders yeah. or did you have the Colts? You had the Colts, right? Uh, I had the Raiders, oh, had the Raiders. as the, Raiders. the team that I least wanted to play in the uh, playoffs. Okay. Well, that's fine. We, we can scrub that. You can probably go back and edit that out from the archives. <laughs> they are trash. <laughs> they are trash. We'll talk about the Raiders in a second because we can't not talk about the Raiders and what they did this week. But I want to talk about the Steelers for a minute because sure. the conventional wisdom Whenever a team that is undefeated late in the season in December, it's December 9th when we're recording this, Steelers lost on Monday Night Football on December 7th, 
the conventional day which will wisdom. live in infamy. That's right. That's right. And and again, kudos to Alex Smith for pulling that off. That was awesome. But the conventional wisdom, and I've already heard this repeated by several people, including former Steeler Ryan Shazier on the Ringer NFL podcast. The conventional wisdom is, oh, well, this team was tight because you know one team in NFL history has ever gone undefeated and won the Super Bowl, the 1972 Miami Dolphins. One team has gone 16 and 0 in NFL history. That was the 2007 Patriots, who finished 18 and 1. Thank you, Eli Manning. Yep. The conventional wisdom is that a team that is chasing that undefeated season is tight because they're chasing a record. And every week that you get closer to that record, that's only been done once in NFL history. There's so much more media scrutiny and like, you know, it just is harder to function in that environment. You get all bound up about it. So when that team loses, the pressure's off. You can play loose again. You don't have to worry about history. Guess what, Taylor? (laughs) That was only true when there were two fucking buys. Yeah. You know why? Because a team that's undefeated into mid-December has one of the top two seeds locked up. All right. Yep. They already have a bye. So yep. yeah, they, they can play loose because they don't have to worry about losing the bye. Ain't no but 15 now, and one three seed out there. That's exactly right. But now there's only one bye. And the Steelers now have the same record as the Chiefs. So they go, they may have the pressure of being perfect off, but they still have the pressure to be perfect because if they lose another game, they're not going to get the one seed and they're not going to get the buy. So if anything, the pressure on the Steelers has gone up because they lost a game <laughs> yeah. and now they're tied with the Chiefs. And yep. now they literally cannot lose another game or the Chiefs, if they run the table, are going to take the one seed from them. So I just get out of here with your conventional wisdom and your trash takes. We're living in 2020 where there are seven playoff teams. There's only one playoff by the pressure is on the Steelers. It absolutely is. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you think about like the aura of an undefeated team, like everyone was talking about how, you know, is Pittsburgh the best team in the AFC and, and I'm sure the matchups it's just uh, it's much different when you look at them and you see that somebody's beat them. I, yeah. Even when you look at this Chiefs team, even then, if the Chiefs were twelve and zero right now, people would be talking about if they were the greatest team of all time, right? Yeah. Like yep. if they had just defeated the Raiders by one point in Week Five, people would be talking about is this the greatest football team that's ever touched the field? And instead, they've got that one loss, and now it's you know, well, can you do what the Raiders did to them? And everybody's got a shot, and blah blah blah. Now it's this exact same thing with the Steelers. It used to be, oh, they play such good defense, and they have such a good running game. And Ben Roethlisberger, he's a veteran; he knows what he's. Now it's like, well, if the football team beat them, like just do what they did, just kick their ass, yeah. you'll be fine. Right. And so it's definitely, um, I'm sure the Steelers are feeling that one pretty hard, and I, I just don't see them as too much of a threat. I really don't. I think they're going to drop a couple more games. Yeah, I agree. And this is a good time to revisit our, our fear rankings for lack of a better word. Now yeah. I had the Steelers. I no longer fear the Steelers at all. Now, now yeah. let's be clear. They're when, fine. When we, they're a good football team. When we but. talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think we both went on the record as saying we don't fear any of these teams, nope. Correct. but it's, it's degrees and you picked the Raiders, but yeah. There have been some recent developments in the last <laughs> That's little, a diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> there have been some developments in the past two weeks involving the Raiders and their performance. Uh, have you rethought your position yes, at all on 100%. The, the Las Vegas Raiders? Oh, yeah, of course. So, my top three are, t- are top tier teams. I had Raiders one, I had Colts two, and Steelers three. I think I'm just going to knock the Raiders off the list entirely. 
And I well, losing by 33 or whatever they lost yeah. to, losing 36 to six or 38 to six to the Atlanta Falcons. Three to six. I think they lost. 40, by it was. It was 37 to six. That's right. Losing by 37 to the Atlanta Falcons, and then basically losing to yeah, the they lost 11. They lost it. They it lost says they won in the standings, but they lost. They lost. They got outplayed. They got beat. Uh, losing to the Falcons and the Jets back to back. I think we can officially scrub them from any kind of fear list. Yeah, they're not even we'll making the playoffs. Again. That's why I, talk, I kicked them off the list because it doesn't yeah, matter they're not going to make because it. they're right. not going to make the playoffs. So, right. you know, I think I'm going to raise the Browns up on my list. Yeah, they, sure, okay. They had those three straight weeks in Cleveland with dog shit weather, where it was absolutely miserable. It was super windy. It was cold. It was just not, and they combined. I think it was 17 points in four weeks or something is what they scored or it's something horrible. I forget what the exact number was, but um, now that they've kind of broken out of their shell a little bit, they kicked the Titans ass on Sunday. They absolutely beat them up and down the field. They did only up winning, end up winning uh, I think by seven. It was a one score game at the end because the Titans had a furious comeback, but um, I'm, I'm more of a believer in the Browns now than I was two weeks ago. It doesn't mean I'm, Fear, fearful of them, but um, I think they're a better a better contender than I was giving them credit for. I agree with that, and I think with the Browns, the fear there is. Uh, it, listen, I'm a big proponent of run defense not mattering. Yeah. I will say it becomes more of a big deal when you go against a team that is going to run the ball no matter what. That's going to just keep running the ball even if they're behind mm-hmm. and your best defense against a running attack like that is just to build a multi-score lead and not give them the time. But obviously with our, our old friend Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, they can score on you on in a hurry, even when they're running the ball. And Baker, of course, looked the best he's looked at ever. maybe ever. Yeah, yeah probably ever. the best game of his career against a pretty bad Tennessee Titans defense. But man, I did not think he had that in him. I didn't think he was capable of that. So they're definitely moving up the list as well. I would say for me, Number one right now would be the Buffalo Bills, which yeah. is crazy because yep. Yep. I, I mean, I don't think either of us had them top three. And nope. now not only do they have the three seed, they have the third best record in the AFC, but they just went out and beat a decent 49ers team. I mean, certainly not the team that was in the Super Bowl. They're missing, yeah, the they both raced they're, missing they're missing Nick Bosa. They're missing a lot of their key players, but they beat them badly. And mm-hmm. Josh Allen turned in a four touchdown, no interception performance and lit them up through the air. And that's pretty scary because he obviously, he started out hot, was getting some MVP buzz through the first four weeks of the season. Chiefs roll into Buffalo and make him look like the old Josh Allen who couldn't (laughs) pass the ball. Look like a bitch again. He did look like a bitch again. And he looked like a bitch for about three to four weeks after they played the Chiefs. And since then, boy, he's looked extremely sharp throwing the football again. And man, I mean, you know, if he's on, he's pretty dangerous. And yeah, Buffalo's really interesting. They they can score. They dropped a bunch of points on Seattle. Everybody does that. But I mean, they show that they can go out there with, a uh, you know, another high-powered offense on the other end and, and shoot with them. And they didn't do that against the Chiefs. And that kind of set us at ease about the potential of playing them again, but they've looked really good at times. And, yeah. and really the bar in the AFC is not very high. 
Oh, it's like, low. It's like when we low. talk about the number one team in the AFC, we wouldn't want to play in the playoffs. Like really it's nobody, like we said earlier. Um, but if we have to pick somebody, yeah, I guess it's Buffalo. Anybody else on this list that uh, that you have any any fear of? We talked about the Bills. We talked about the Browns. I'm in agreement with you that those are probably my top two. I, I mean, those teams maybe scare me the most, which isn't saying a whole lot. I mean, we're talking about a team that before two years ago hadn't won a playoff game in like 20 years, and the Cleveland Browns are the top two. I, I We have some movement on the list since the last time we did this segment two weeks ago. The Dolphins now are officially – inside the playoff bubble and the Colts are now the seventh seed. So if the season ended today, the chiefs would play the Colts at Arrowhead <laughs> PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for the Colts. Yeah. Because the last time they came to Arrowhead in the playoffs, we I retired still, Andrew Luck. I still just don't want to see the Colts in the playoffs, man. I just you, don't. You're talking about chiefs fan PTSD. Yeah, of You're, course. You don't I, want to see the horseshoe in Arrowhead. You just—I'm just not into it. I just even I've, if it's Philip Rivers. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, he's fun. He's fun to play against because the Chiefs obviously have had his number numerous times. You don't um, think Dirty Dan Sorensen's getting a pick six in that game? Oh, he's most certainly getting a pick six. Definitely. Uh, I don't know. The Colts have after a horrendous week one loss loss to the Jaguars. The only win the Jaguars have on the entire schedule is against the Which Colts, is crazy, by the way. Which is insane. But then after that, they're eight and three in their last 11 with losses to the Titans, Ravens, and Browns. So like three, three good teams. They're, yeah, they're all, all, you know, yeah. definitely no embarrassing losses like that. And they defeated the Packers and they did beat the Titans in their other matchup with them. So, I mean, I don't know. I think they're, I think they're pretty capable of making some noise. Um, I I wouldn't be thrilled about playing them. I'll say that much. That's but. fair. That's fair. Uh, those are the top three, though, right? We think Bills, Browns, Colts. Those are the teams. We I'd still with. probably slot Pittsburgh in third. I don't, even though I'm not scared of them. They're the bar is so low in the AFC. I'd probably rather play the Colts than the Steelers. That's fair. That's fair. Well, that's our playoff picture right now. We'll kind of probably that'll probably be like a recurring segment from here until the end because it's tight race. There's only one by Taylor. There's only one by there's only one by anything can happen. There's seven playoff teams. There's only one by it's 2020 shit's wild. (laughs) Let's talk about the game that we're playing this week, which is against the, the Miami dolphins. We're going to Miami. What, What did something happen there? Is, is there, is there anything significant about that stadium or, you know, just, what's, what's going on the there? Greatest day of all of our lives, which was Super Bowl 54, baby hard rock stadium. I am, I am always going to have a soft spot for hard rock and this is going to be fun. It's going to be fun for the team to go back and, and relive some of the moments and, and to do some walkthroughs before the game starts. You know, they're going to be extra jazzed going back into that building um yeah it's it's fun it'll be great it will be great and i guess the dolphins are starting tua are they not i mean he, uh, he's he played... questionable hmm. so it it would either be Tua tonga Vailoa, the rookie quarterback who they drafted in the top five i believe fifth overall or it could be ryan fitzpatrick and as of the time we're recording this on wednesday i mean i would expect it to be tua but That'll mean uh, that'll mean Fitzmagic, who delivered such a an important part of the Chiefs' playoff run last year, will be on the sidelines. It'll just be a interesting matchup with Tua and a familiar matchup with Fitz. Uh, I think the Chiefs know what to expect out of Fitz. 
Um, last time, in fact, Fitz played the Chiefs. Do you remember how that went? Uh, was that when he was a member of the New York Jets? <laughs> it was, and he had six interceptions. <laughs> and six. the believe, the Chiefs, I believe, had eight turnovers, four state turnovers in that game, two they fumbles did. as well. Yeah, Two fumbles, including a fumble on a kickoff that Demetrius Harris returned for a touchdown. Marcus Peters had two picks. Eric Berry had a pick. It was a... It was a classic 2017 Chiefs performance. Do you do you know what the final score of that game was off the top of your head? Because as I recall, despite Jeez. winning the turnover margin by like plus seven, we scored Chiefs 24 won. points. Yeah, with eight turnovers. With two of those turnovers <laughs> resulting in touchdowns, direct touchdowns. So 10 points by the offense off eight turnovers. Woof. That 2017 team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Love that's- you, Alex. <laughs> yeah, love you. Thanks for beating the Steelers for us, buddy. But uh, yeah. too bad you couldn't do it while you were a chief. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, no, for real though. Cool guy, chill guy. Yeah. But uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't. I think they might name the comeback player of the year award after him. They should. They I should. really. They should. I, they absolutely. Should. I mean, it's um. It's I remarkable. This the other day, it's it's really fortunate that that team changed its name. Yeah, I love that tweet. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine if that was the feel good story? Like we've got a we got a head coach who's got cancer Man. and a quarterback who almost died on the field, and nobody uh, thought he'd ever play football again. And they just beat the last unbeaten team in the NFL. And it's like the name of the team is a racial slur. Like yeah, they have to bleep be, out their name. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be a real bummer. But enough about the Washington football team. We're talking about the Miami Dolphins, Sailor. Uh, familiar face, not just Ryan Fitzpatrick, but a former chief, Emmanuel Ogba, on the other sideline. He's been awesome this year. Eight sacks, 15 tackles for loss, 19 quarterback hits this season. And obviously a guy the Chiefs could not afford to pay, but – it, it's a uh, it's a little bit tough in light of our current pass rush situation to uh, to see him on the other sideline. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's 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 fun because he uh, you know nothing but good things to say about Ogba. But um, yeah, you he got just, his ring. You miss the depth. You definitely miss the depth. And uh, I, it's hard to say what he would be doing if he was playing behind some of the guys here. But um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's nice to see him performing well. We're going to see a pretty good Miami defense in this game. I feel like the Miami offense obviously depends on who's playing quarterback, but if Tua is in there, you know, it's, it's been a pretty conservative attack under Tua. They're, they're not letting him yeah. throw Let the ball cook. deep. Yeah. They're not letting Tua cook, which is totally <laughs> fair because he's a rookie. He didn't have OTAs, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, if he's in the game, boy, he's cooking all day. He's, he's not going to let somebody tell him how to cook his meal. He's just going <laughs> to, He's just going to be slinging that meat all around the kitchen. <laughs> and he might make a masterpiece or he might make a complete disaster. You just never know with Fitz. It's uh, it's going to be a very interesting matchup either way. I don't really know what to think about Tua yet. I don't either. And it'll be fun to kind of get a, a close-up look of him. I've not watched a whole lot of his games this year yet. He's left-handed, which is kind of fun and kind of different. You know, it's been a while since we've seen a left-handed quarterback. I'm not sure when the last time the Chiefs played a left-handed quarterback was. Vic. We probably should. Oh yeah, that's that's probably. I mean, it's it. got to. Yeah. It's just got to be, be him it's because gotta, I can't really think it. of anyone else. Who even is Nick Mullins left-handed? I don't know. Is he? I I kind of I kind of had this back of my brain told me that there's another lefty and no, I, I think two. I think two is the only lefty right now. But I'm googling this right now. But okay, cool. Um, while you do that, I am going to give you my favorite eight names on the Miami Dolphins roster. Oh, okay, this is great. So these are eight guys that are all played for the defense and they are Andrew Van Ginkle, who I 
that's that's a great Andrew one. Van Ginkle. That's not a real name. Yeah, Andrew Van Ginkle. He's uh, an outside linebacker. Right. Okay. Uh, free safety Clayton Fehedelem. F e j e d e l e m. Okay. That's, uh, sure. that's four e's in that name. Devon Godcho. G o d c h a u x. Devon Godcho. He's a nose tackle. Uh, defensive lineman Jason Strobridge, S-T-R-O-W-B-R-I-D-G-E. Okay, Love these guys. Uh, inside linebacker Camus Gruger Hill, G-R-U-G-I-E-R-Hill. Gruger Hill. Yeah. Uh, Nick Needham, N-E-E-D-H-A-M. So Nick really needs some ham. He's a cornerback. Uh, Samuel Eguvion, E-G-U-A-V-O-E-N. Iguavion, Iguavone, I don't know. And then my favorite one, Noah <laughs> Igbenogany, I-G-B-I-N-O-G-H-E-N-E, Noah Igbenogany. So sure, that's great. Those are my favorite Miami Dolphins names on their roster. I, I really appreciated that segment, so thank you for sharing those with me. I have confirmed that Tua Tagovailoa was the first left-handed quarterback to start in the NFL in five years, which would be since Michael Vick. Gotcha. So Michael Vick would be the last left-handed quarterback that the Chiefs played. That did go well for the Chiefs, as I recall. Yeah, Not that, that in matters, Philly. But, you know. It, yeah. it's a it's a yeah thursday night football that was andy's first yep. game back in Return philly, philly. Yep. yeah uh not that it matters but i mean you know chiefs beat the last lefty quarterback they played so th- they'll, sure. they'll probably beat this one too sure um, probably. we should talk about briefly the defense in this game you know i feel like assuming two is going to start we're probably going to see a pretty conservative offense from the dolphins mm-hmm. and on the other side we're going to see a really good defense and they do have two of the best cornerbacks in the game, Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. Uh, invested a lot of money in both of those guys, brought in a lot of players, and uh, Brian Flores, obviously their head coach with a defensive background, uh, pretty much the only successful Belichick tree coach out there right now. But yeah. I just don't, I just don't feel like the recipe to beat the Chiefs is conservative offense good defense like that just yeah it's it's technically like strength on strength on one side of the ball and weakness on weakness on the other side of the ball right like the uh yeah the miami offense against our defense and our offense against their defense but i just i feel like but the our level offense, of strength and weakness exactly yeah is, yep. is way way different the chiefs yes saying the chiefs offense is a strength they are one of the best offenses of all time. If this was one of the best defenses of all time on the other end, sure. It's not. But it's not. Um, it is interesting that they have a couple expatriates other than just Brian Flores. They brought in Kyle Van Noy. They brought in Alandon Roberts. They they tried to kind of – I don't know if I want to necessarily say they tried to Scott Pioli it and bring in as many former Patriots as they could. But it is – you know, they they tried to remake a little bit of that in Miami and having a good defense was always a recipe for the Patriots success. It was never their offense or their quarterback. It was always yeah, two is two is like the new Brady. He's yeah, just gonna, exactly. Lucky he's going to get carried to some Super Bowls. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. I think that the dolphins are probably not as good as their record, but probably a still pretty good team. Like they're eight and four. I don't know if I think that they're going to finish the year, you know, 11 and five or I will, we'll see. But uh, the chiefs, I think match up pretty well with them. There is a, there's a player on this Miami dolphins roster who, who has had a, a journey, shall <laughs> we say? Yeah. And 
before we close out this podcast, I think it's appropriate for us to dunk on the Raiders one more time. And Taylor, I'm going to give you the floor. (laughs) So in the 2020 NFL draft, the Las Vegas Raiders in the third round with the 80th pick selected wide receiver slash running back. They weren't quite sure, but a man by the name of Lynn Bowden Jr. And they were, if you read any Raiders message boards, they were extremely happy about this kid from Kentucky. They thought that he was going to be the, you know, he's a third round pick. Anytime you got it, you get a guy in the third round, you're expecting some pretty good things out of him. And Um, may I say these wide receiver slash running back types. Yeah. This is, this is when you got a guy coming in. I don't know if Lynn Bowden Jr. said this specifically, but this is very reminiscent of the the Dexter McClusters of the world. Absolutely. Where they come in and they say, my position is offensive weapon. Football player. It's like, I'm a football player. I'm an yep. offensive weapon. Just use me. Use yep. me however you're going to use me, coach. I'm, yep. I'm going to tear it up no matter where you play me. And conceptually, that sounds really fun as a fan. That like you can plug a guy anywhere and he's going to be successful. Almost like if Tyreek Hill, you know, I mean, the, the type <laughs> yeah, of... It's- like if they they expect to be that good, but they're obviously no one's that good. But except for Tyreek Hill, uh, yeah, Tyreek Hill is the first player of that type that actually turned out to be good. Yeah, except he was so and good at one he's, position. He's, he's now just the best now wide he's receiver. Just the in best football. wide receiver. Yeah, he doesn't get to be an offensive weapon. He just no. gets to be the best wide receiver. He gets to do what he does best. So uh, fast forward a mere five months later, Don't and me. the Raiders announce on September 5th that they have traded their third round pick to the dolphins. So first you hear that they traded him and your first reaction is it doesn't really matter what they got back for him. That's hilarious because if he doesn't even make break week one with the team, uh, clearly something went wrong there. So then you're looking up like, okay, what, what compensation did the Raiders get a third round pick back for him? Cause they spent one on him. So you yeah, hope, a mere five months prior. Yeah, exactly. You would hope that they at least asked the dolphins for equal return. Uh, but no, they got a fourth round pick. So then you're like, damn. So they had to drop a year back or a, a round back in the draft and go a year forward. But then you read that the Raiders also had to include a sixth round pick <laughs> with Lynn Bowden to the Dolphins. So they oh, drafted him in the third and then sent him in a sixth to, for a fourth. For a, to a, for a fourth on a team that's going to finish with a better record, than them, <laughs> yes. by the way. So yes. the, that Dolphins fourth round pick is going to be a better, lower. Yeah, it's it's, right. it's going to be a lower pick than right. what the Raiders would have had themselves. Right. Uh, it's just a, it's a classic Raiders situation. And and may I just say, this is not the first time that the Raiders have been involved in, in these weird trade shenanigans since Mike Mayock came over. No. Just a couple of years ago, they traded a third round pick I believe for Martavis Bryant, yes. who originally, originally was a fourth round pick for the Steelers. And then he got to the last year of his contract and he had been suspended like Six two games or three times yeah. previously yeah. for drug violations. And like the knock on him, every time you read about Martavis Bryant was like, this guy doesn't know the playbook. He's like big and fast, but like, he doesn't have any idea. He doesn't have any idea what he's doing. And the Raiders were like, well, you got one year on a fourth round picks contract and he could be suspended at any time for PEDs and miss the entire season. We will give you a third round pick for that guy. And they did. And in fact, he did immediately get suspended and missed most of the season. I think he ended up coming back for a couple of games. So, so they traded for him in April during the draft. For, they spent the third round pick on him. 
in September, they cut him when his suspension was announced. That's right. And then three days or 10 days after they cut him, they signed him to a one-year deal for the next season. And then they placed him on injured reserve three week, three months later. And then they, the NFL suspended him indefinitely for violating the league substance abuse policy. So he was, <laughs> they, they traded a third for him and then he was suspended and they cut him. And then they brought him back after they cut him and the NFL suspended him again. And then, so he, they just, he never even, I don't even think he played a game for him. Wow. What, what a journey the Las Vegas Raiders took us on there and took us on again with Lynn Bowden Jr. This is not a podcast about the Las Vegas Raiders, but we can't not clown on the Las Vegas Raiders. We're going to play Miami this week. We'll see y'all in Miami. We'll catch you next time. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 uh, Miami. Uh, uh, KC bringing the heat, uh. Ha-ha, can y'all feel that? Can y'all feel that? Check it out, uh. Here they come to the place where attention goes In Miami, the site of the Super Bowl Every play like a rope-a-dope Everybody open all day, no joke, always, okay? So we sip a little something, but don't let it spill We at the Super Bowl, these beers cost a bill Nothing less than ill, when we pass the kill Every time that Pat drops back, he be like, Ty Hill Y'all feel me? KC in the Metro, come on, let's go Welcome to the air show, OP, Blue Spring, Shawnee, Liberty PV, Gardner, and Indy our opponents think that we're playing But every time we're down we always wind up slaying This the type of run to the ship that's amazing Miami, the Chiefs gonna keep the roof blazing Party in the city where the Chiefs are on All night on the field till the break of dawn Welcome to Miami Bienvenidos a Miami Scoring all the points where the game is on All night on the field till the break of dawn We're going to Miami Welcome to Miami Yo, I heard the San Fran ain't nothing to mess with But Casey will flip the script for a ship Get a strip Frank and CJ fully equipped Got Jimmy screaming out So I'm thinking KC's gonna score a lot And the Niner running game will be all for naught Hottest team in the playoffs, not a figure of speech Record set, place your bets, it's about to reach 500 degrees in the Caribbean seas With KC mommies screaming Every time we lace them up, we be spotting them 20 points, no sweat, ain't no stopping him So blow all your dough to go to this passing show Pound for pound, the most lethal throws Yo, ain't no offense in the league like this And if you ask D40, would have to plead the fifth Party in the city where the Chiefs are on All night on the field till the break of dawn Welcome to Miami Bienvenidos a Miami Scoring all the points where the game is on All night on the field till the break of dawn We're going to Miami Welcome to Miami. They got it wrong in Chi-Town when they drafted Mitch. And New York can't win anything with all three teams. And we all know that L.A. and Philly need cuties. But on the sneak, Miami bringing heat for real. Y'all don't understand. I've never seen a QB make so many cry in the New England stands. It's magic, this is the plan. Back up with us next year. We all think you're the man. You made us fans. Damn, our team's sexy. Let's go win us a ring. Homie, yes, please. Puts me at ease. Last year was a big tease. But we gotta ask D what he see when he lined up his feet. Final of the year. No more football till autumn. $15,000 seats. Everybody got them. Ain't no surprise, MVP. It's my guy, Mahomes. Lombardi, it's coming home. When I seen him throw that ball, I was like, oh my God. We'll